The Bible is so honest. And this is one of those passages that is just incredibly honest. The Psalms are full of passages like this where David or another psalmist is just saying how he feels, right? And this is there are times where God has seems it seems like God has forgotten you. And David is one of the great heroes of the Bible, but he's wrestling with that in this passage. This feeling like God doesn't seem to care, like God is distant. But of course, we can have confidence as Christians even in spite of how we feel or how our circumstances might look. So this is a psalm about someone who has who feels like they're forgotten by God and they're desperate for God to act. And it's I love the sudden turn at the end of the psalm where there's this cry of confidence and a statement of what they're going to do, what David's going to do as a result of the feelings that he has. So it's very practical, very helpful for us. So first we see a questioning lament. So in verses two, we see a questioning lament. David starts by asking the question, how long, O Lord? And again and again, he's asking, how long? Four times he asks the same question. Look at verses one and two. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So again and again, he's asking these questions because there's real anxiety and real struggle that's evident here. He's not challenging God, but he's trying to make sense of his situation and why God isn't acting how he expects him to act. He's feeling left alone and forgotten. He's feeling this weight of sorrow constantly in his life. He's torn also between God and his enemy. He's speaking about at the end of verse two, this enemy who he's afraid will be exalted over him. And so who is this enemy? Well, there's a couple possibilities and we'll see this later as well, but the enemy may be death. In verse three, he's talking about this threat of death coming upon him. So some think the enemy is a way of kind of personifying death itself, or maybe the enemy and the foes in this passage refer to Satan. So we'll see more about that in a little bit. But either way, he's he's asking this question again and again of how long. And there's really, it sounds despairing, but there's really a, sort of an optimism built into this question. Because the idea of asking how long until something happens is that you know something is going to happen. You're just impatient for it. You want it to happen now. The question, in other words, is not if God will act to save the righteous, but it's when. When will God act? to save us from the desperate situations that we find ourselves in. So note here, again, David is one of the greatest men to ever live, but he's in complete despair if he feels like God is not with him. The greatest man to ever live, the greatest people to ever live, they're nothing if God is not present with them and helping them. It made me think as I was reading this of a couple passages in Scripture. One is Moses and Exodus at the the second half of Exodus, where he's talking with God because God is threatening after the golden calf incident in in Exodus 32, he's threatening to not be present with Israel anymore. And Moses is distressed by this. And he he says in Exodus 33, 15, he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. In other words, he's saying, "If, if you're not with me, God, I don't, I don't want anything else. It, nothing else matters. 
Why would you even deliver us? He understands accurately. Moses sees that without God's presence, Moses is nothing. One of the greatest men to ever live, what the Bible says, is the most humble man in the world. And yet he understands that he's nothing apart from God's presence. Or I thought of the strongest man to ever live, Samson. And really what's one of the most tragic verses in all the Bible after Samson tells the secret of his strength to Delilah and she shaves his head, it says in Judges 16, 20, that after he's about to fight back, he's about to push against his enemies and free himself again, it says, but he did not know know that the Lord had left him. A tragic, tragic passage of a man who's given so much strength by God, and yet once God leaves him, he has nothing. And it's the same with us, right? David understands it, and we should understand it. If God is not with us, if he's not present with us, then we have no hope. So there's a real lamenting uh, series of questions that are happening here. So we see first a questioning lament, and then we see a plea for help in verses 3 and 4, a plea for help. He says, verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So a couple of interesting things here. So the, the word consider is the word look or take note. So this the idea here is that, that David needs God to answer his questions and to act. He needs God to see and to take note of what is happening to him so that he can do something to save David. And then he talks about, you know, I need you to light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. So he's saying, unless you light up my eyes, I'm going to die. This idea of having your eyes enlightened, it, it probably speaks to physical health. It speaks to the strength of the body. We see this in Deuteronomy 34 too, where we see that Moses even though he was old, his eyes were still bright. So he still has physical strength. So he's saying, give me my health back, God. I need you to heal me so I don't die. And he doesn't want his enemies to have the last word. Right? He's saying, I don't want my enemies to say that they've prevailed over me. I don't want them to have that glory. God thwart their purposes. And again here, the enemy may be focusing on death or the enemy may be Satan himself. And this idea of the enmity between man and Satan goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where God prophesies there's going to be enmity between the woman's offspring and the serpent's offspring. So uh, take your pick. I'm not totally sure, but I would lean towards Satan is in view here as the enemy of David. So he, he calls, he pleads for God to help. He's asking God to do something on his behalf. And then we see in the final two verses, verses five and six, a call for confidence. So David then responds by saying what he's going to do. And he focuses on a few specific actions. So verse five, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So three three actions that David does here that are instructive for us. And this is so helpful because when God doesn't seem to be acting, we can't control our circumstances or what God is doing. We can control how we respond. There are certain things that we can do that are going to help us to trust in God. And really all three of these things can be summed up with the word faith. That's what he's doing. He's actively practicing faith in God. 
So first, we see he trusts in God's steadfast love. The word here for God's steadfast love is the is the word chesed, which speaks to God's covenant loyalty, his covenant love. In other words, this love is based upon God's covenant promises that he's made throughout history, covenants that he cannot break. It's not in his character to break his promises that he has sealed with an oath. And so God, God, we see God always keeps his promises. And so we need to remember what those promises are and remember who God is. His character means he cannot fail. So first, he trusts in God's steadfast love. Second, he rejoices in God's salvation. So salvation here could refer to physical or spiritual deliverance. It can refer to both. Obviously, in our New Testament context, we tend to think of spiritual deliverance, spiritual salvation, but it can refer to a physical or a spiritual deliverance throughout the Bible. So he's he's remembering Right? He's rejoicing in the salvation of God. He's choosing to take joy in what God has done to rescue him and what he's going to do in the future. And then the third thing he does is he sings to the Lord. Sometimes the best thing in the world that you can do is to sing, to praise God for what you know about him and what he's done in the past, even when the present is confusing and the future is uncertain. There's something powerful about singing praises to God reminding yourself of who he is. So we should focus on the known and the certain things rather than the unknown and the uncertain things. Fix your fix your, your eyes on God and look to who he is and the things that don't change. So a few practical thoughts in light of this passage. One is it's good to bring your burdens to God and it's even better to ask God to act on your behalf. God loves when we do that. And remember that your burdens are not are not unique to you, right? Each one of us has different burdens, different struggles, different temptations, and really they're common to a lot of people. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a very, a very encouraging passage. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the temptations we face are common and the burdens and struggles we face that even if they're not temptations, those are also common. Um, A lot of people are going through the same thing that you're going through and even throughout history, they've gone through the same things and there's still encouragement and hope for them. Also, we keep seeing in the Psalms how important a change in perspective can be and how much this can impact your life. You should look to what God has done in the past to guide you for the things of the present, to shape your view of the present, and to give you confidence and hope for the future. So do you know God well enough to to know him and look to him in times when things are uncertain? Do you know his word? Are you confident in his promises? And then the last thing we can see that's practical is these how long questions remind us that even if we're impatient for God to act, there is a time when our suffering will end. Either in this life or in the next, God will fix our our greatest problems.